Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast featuring New York sports talk from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Week number five, quarantining self-distance podcast time. We're going to get do a little different stuff this week. We've been on a football kick of late, but I do want to talk about this crazy idea that came out last week. Courtesy ESPN's Jeff Passan broke the news that Major League Baseball is considering this radical idea to try and save their 2020 season, which is basically take the entire league and put it in a bubble in Arizona. We're going to have basically the idea behind this theory is that assuming you have enough testing, all of the health issues winding up, all 30 teams would be in a bubble basically in Arizona playing between 10 different spring training complexes in Chase Field in Arizona. Really interesting for sure. A lot of angles to discuss. I'm going to be joined in just a bit by the baseball beat, Will Schneiderhand, Anthony Sorabellini. We're going to talk about the playing aspect challenges of this, including some of the potential rule changes might be tied to with my bigger rosters. Could have double headers with seven inning lengths. We'll discuss all that in a bit. We'll also be joined by our legal correspondent, Phil Freyer, to break down some of the legal ramifications of the proposal because it's not just as simple as bringing everybody to Arizona and starting the baseball season. There are various issues you have to consider that's something you want to keep an eye on for sure. Pop culture-wise, this week I'm going to be joined by a new pop culture guest, the great Alan Pines. You last heard from him back during fantasy football playoffs in November, in late November, early December. We're going to be talking to Alan about his Pines playlist, what he's streaming. I'll give you some streaming shows of my own that we're going to talk about as well. But we'll get all started with this opening tip, where I take a look at this horse contest the NBA put together to give the sports world some live content. And my thoughts on what else we could see coming as we still wait for the go-ahead to resume live sports right after this. Let me see this. All right, let me see this. Go ahead. Yeah, let me see. I got to make sure I can palm this ball. I got little hands, man. I've never been able to really palm a ball. Oh, there it is. Wow. Come on. Wow. <laughs> Boy, he tapped it with the left and then reversed it? Yep. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Oh, my gosh. All right, we are back. This opening tip. You just heard a little bit of what it was like to watch the first round of the ESPN horse contest. This is one of the things that ESPN is trying to come up with to provide fresh sports content for fans who cannot get any games as a result of the lockdowns because of the coronavirus pandemic. I gave it as a shout on Sunday night. All the credit to ESPN... And their partners are trying to come up with something creative. The idea on the whole sounded fun. At points, it was fun. Execution, not so much. There were issues with this broadcast, mostly with the lag. The camera work, I mean, I can forgive a little bit because like, you're asking people to basically shoot on iPads and phones and stream it to the internet through a server for ESPN to put together the broadcast with. That was not great, but... I understand these rough times, you can deal with it, but the lag was not good. The problem was that, like the lack of clear direction in terms of like communication of what the actual expectations of the show were going to be was not great. 
I mean, you have people talking over each other because you have the delays. I feel like this is something that, like, the editing time on this could have been better. You could have edited this more, worked on this a little bit. I understand it's a little bit of touch and go. We're trying to figure it out on their own, but I think on its whole, it had some interesting moments. The matchup between Allie Quigley and Chris Paul at the end of the first round was actually very entertaining. You got to see more creative shots as he went further into the round because Trey Young's match is a bust. He really didn't do that much interesting stuff. Zach Levine and Paul Pierce were actually pretty entertaining. Zach Levine shooting basically outside his court, shooting like on the grass and basically daring Paul Pierce make raw shots. You see some personalities of these guys. I think it was fun. I think the execution obviously could have been better, but it does raise an interesting point here in terms of like, how are we as like sports fans, like sort of filling our airtime here? Because obviously you're not having live games for a couple months at the earliest. I don't think you're getting anything before the summer. That's the current projection I'm operating under because we're at the point where the virus is peaking. Infections are starting to stabilize. And then we talk about right now, slowly reopening the economy, which means that the sports, which is one of the first to shut down, be one of the last to come back. So the question becomes like how we fill this airtime. What do we do to sort of fill that sports itch for fans? I mean, we've seen ESPN doing these NBA 2K tournaments with actual active players to sort of create something fresh. I was not a big fan of it, but I can understand the appeal in this society where e-gaming is sort of a big deal. Esports is becoming very popular. MLB is doing the same on their Twitch channels. They have MLB, the show league going on with all 30 teams represented. I think Jeff McNeil's the Met representative, if I remember correctly. They're doing that on Twitch. That's something worth interesting. And I think, honestly, like, there are more creative things you could do. But the issue is, like, how you execute them. I mean, what are we looking at in terms of sports content? You think about a couple of things here. I mean, number one, like, in terms of the actual, like, athletic competition, like, could we stream a dunk contest for charity? I think that could work. I think in the same light that the horse competition is sort of doing, where you have the people at their homes with their own hoops doing dunks, you could come up with something fun there and have the winner donate to the charity of their choice. I think it would make a lot of sense. And this might be a case where you can get somebody like a LeBron James to consider doing this to help society in general. LeBron will never do the dunk contest in real life for obvious reasons, but in this situation, it could be good for his brand to participate in something like this. Could you do a three-point shootout for charity and maybe have these some of these athletes you know, there's logistics involved you gotta get enough racks to these places and set up these things you could do a three-point shootout and have them shoot from their own homes on a timelet that's something you could possibly do could you do a home run derby down the line where you could actually do the legitimate home run derby where you don't need all the fans there you need literally eight participants a catcher a pitcher and baseballs you could get away with something like that. That could be something that you could do in a point where, you know, maybe in Florida you get eight sluggers together and you make this happen when the general order gets lifted. Because remember, down in Florida already, Governor DeSantis has already made WWE an essential business on the grounds of keeping the sports media, the media industry alive for Florida. You're telling me that maybe some point in a spring training park you get eight sluggers together? I think that could happen. That's something you could definitely see happening maybe down the line. 
I also think we got a lot of fun with watching some of these old games, watching, you know, old NCAA championship games. Fox is airing old Super Bowls. ABC is going back to the NBA finals, stuff like that. I think those kind of things could be fun, but I think you can also add to it, you know, by like doing some of these remote shows where you have a host either in their home or in the studio bringing in people who are participating in those games for a little retrospective, you know, like if you're airing a Lakers Celtics NBA finals, you could bring in like a Paul Pierce or a Pau Gasol discuss that finals games. If you're a host, if you're airing the old Super Bowls, you could bring in Tom Brady. You could bring in Peyton Manning, discuss their memories of the games. Stuff like that is fun. The historical perspective, which we're getting a lot more times you sort of evaluate now. I think it's very interesting. I think stuff like the NF, like, NFL 100, all those shows they did in the fall and at the NFL's 100th season, stuff like that would kill right now. I think as time progresses, we will get more creative what content we're putting on the air. Hopefully, you know, this Jordan 30 for 30 they're doing over the next couple of weeks, The Last Dance, the 10-part documentary, that will help fill some of our sports itch. Hopefully, the draft will fill that need as well for some senses there. You assume any of these leagues with a draft will kill on the rating scale. But, I think it'll be interesting to see. Up next, though, we will go to the baseball beat this week. We will talk to Will Snyderhand and Sarbalini about the bubble plans to try and get MLB started right after this. This ball is crushed. It's time for the baseball beat with Will Snyderhand and Sarbalini. Play ball. Oh, it feels so good to hear that. It's been a while since I played the baseball beat bumper on this podcast. Unfortunately, we're not talking about real baseball here. We're still in the quarantine period here, but some stuff has emerged in terms of ideas. Baseball is flowing around to do a 2020 season in some radical ways. So I decided to break down two of the newest ideas that have emerged with the baseball beat. First up, I heard from actually last week on the Jet Fan Forum, Will Schneiderhand. Will, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you guys? Doing pretty good. Also with us today, for the first time in the social distancing era of the podcast, Anthony Sorbellini. Anthony, how are you? Doing good. How about you? Doing pretty good. How is the quarantine life treating you? Uh, it's, it's going. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of pay attention to three days, yesterday, today, and then tomorrow. So kind of have no idea really what's going on, just trying to keep myself occupied and everything like that, try to keep myself sane. <laughs> yeah, I feel like my concept of time is like what show I watch on TV is on it. Like that's when I know what day it is. Yeah, pretty much. It's pretty much I'm just kind of like, okay, what days am I doing? Am I working? What days am I not? Stuff like that. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit of baseball a little bit. We have some ideas that the league isn't floating out in the last couple of, of weeks. They've been leaked by a couple of reporters about their ideas to basically Put the league in bubbles to try and get the season going. We'll start off with the one that came out first, the like earlier this week, recording on Friday the 10th. ESPN's Jeff Passon reported that the one thought that the league is entertaining right now is they're going to put all 30 teams basically in a artificial bubble in Arizona and play the entire season in Arizona, basically have used the 10 spring training complexes down there in Chase Field, put all teams there, basically play there, uh, Anthony, I'll go to you first. What was your reaction when you first heard this plan? Um, 
reaction was kind of, how are they going to pull it off? You know, I mean, 30 teams all basically using the same stadium. There's no like sense of uh, kind of home field advantage, fans to say the least. But I mean, you know, looking into it more, I mean, the world, let alone just the country, is kind of at such a standstill that I think any form of sport would be great, you know, kind of break up the monotony of what am I going to be doing today, you know, because sports, I've always said, and I think you guys could definitely attest to it too, sports have a, has a weird way of, you know, combining everybody I know. I mean, it's not going to make everything great, but I think it would definitely kind of be like, you know, bring the spirits up of everything going on right now. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of funny. Like you just kind of nailed it on the head. I was actually thinking about it this morning. Um, like I was thinking about how like the anti, you know, people who like think sports are stupid. All the, you know, oh, they just make all these money. They make all this money. What do they actually do? It's like astounding to me because like that that small minority of the that, the group of people who hate sports must like be looking at all their friends that love sports and think like you know it's like we're some drug addiction we're in some withdrawal right like we yeah. have no idea what to do it's crazy and you nailed it like how it brings everyone together i think you're exactly right and uh yeah i think it'd be like a nice distraction but i'll be i'll be like completely honest and i'm sure we'll, we're going to get into it here as we go on but i just, i don't know about this idea I, I the whole thing like you just said with the fans right like Mm-hmm. How, like Pete Alonso put out this tweet. Like I don't know if you guys saw it like, a week ago, maybe two weeks ago. I don't even know the days anymore. And he said like <laughs> how he wants to. He misses like you know Shea or sorry, City Field, not Shea City Field, rocking and stuff like that. Like that's like part of that's so much of the sport. You know what I mean? Like that fan oh, yeah. part of it, like the eruption, the the booing, all that stuff. And I, mm-hmm. I mean as. As far as like me wanting to watch baseball, yes, this would be a, a good idea. But I don't know, man. I just, part of it feels forced to me. I just kind of feel like it's almost like you said, like you're gonna have all these people in one, like, like all these teams, all the personnel. I just, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's a lot of moving parts. It's, it's, I think it's kind of definitely a big long shot. I mean, they're entertaining the idea. I think that's just for the sheer fact of they want to kind of you know, without getting too far into like political stuff, it's kind of you know drive boost the economy do whatever they could do but then again you know you're not gonna have fans or any other type of staff so you're not really gonna be boosting anything it's kind of just you know play just for the sake of playing but i mean i'm kind of on the fence with how like of course it's baseball i'm gonna watch it but i mean i'm on the fence about like is it gonna be like kind of like worth it you know quote unquote like kind of like breaking quarantine so to speak even though they're just basically being in a bubble in arizona I mean, I've heard a couple guys saying, you know, that they were like talking to, like, whether it be on ESPN, you know, if it's safe, everybody can stay healthy. Like, they're all for it. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a lot of issues entertaining with this thing. I think you brought up a good point about, like, obviously, this is an economy boost because baseball doesn't get their TV money if there's no games being played. So, they at least get that, which helps players get paid. But, like, you also think in theory, like, you know, like, their idea is like, oh, like we can, you know, maybe we have workers who work our state. We can give them different prizes. They're actually game content being produced as opposed to, you know, we're sitting at home doing nothing right now because there's no sports going on. And, like, they, in theory, have the game best equipped to come back in social distancing periods because this is not direct physical contact. You're not having guys, right. people in media proximity to each other. I mean, they're talking about some of these social distancing tactics that can be implemented in the in this proposal, which – I've heard that, according to the articles I've read, that, like, some of the public health experts are actually encouraging, basically, the ideas of, like, you know, having 
the umpire back up away from the plate more to call the strike zone, eliminating mound visits, having the players sit in the empty stand six feet apart so you can encourage social distancing. Maybe there's you know this aspect of the games here, and they say, you know what, we have to embrace a new normal for a little bit until we have a proven treatment or a vaccine. Maybe baseball is the example here and say, you know what, we can live our lives, but we have to do it a little differently. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of just what not even just the sports but kind of just the world in general you have to find like the new norm i remember hearing like i saw something on twitter it was like that's gonna be we're gonna remember you know life pre-corona and then post-corona so but i mean there's gonna be so many just different things i know there's been reports that they could even try implementing you know robotic uh behind the plate calls which i think is just absolutely ridiculous because i mean not only just yes for the safety of the players but i just if they're going to do this i want to see it from a from a fan standpoint to where it's as close to baseball as we have now i don't want to start implementing all these crazy crazy rule changes you know i still want it to be baseball still want to be entertained but i don't want it to you know but at the same time i don't want it to cost you know players health safety other personnel you know TV crews, whoever. So I, it's definitely still, it's a slippery, a slippery slope to go on right now. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Like what you just said, I, I want it when it's, I want it to be baseball. I want it to resemble it as much. And I know that's probably a lot to ask, but like to me, it's like if you can't get it to, to work, and I know it's a lot of money, uh, you're going to miss out on if you don't get it to work this year. But like, yeah, I just, I, as far as like the game it goes, like all the social distancing stuff, yeah, that's obviously like. Yeah, I'm not going to argue that, but the fact that, like, yeah, what are we going to roll out the robotic arms, going to do all this, mm-hmm. seven innings, double header, it just feels like you're taking and chopping it in half too much, and um, I just, I don't know, like, you know what I mean, like, who wins the World Series, like, are we going to look back on it with all the ramifications, <laughs> like, if if this is the only year you do this stuff, and then, like, next year, it's back to, like, baseball, you know what I mean, doesn't it kind of just feel right. like a weird, weird year? <laughs> well, I remember uh, seeing a quote from Mariano Rivera saying, like, it's, I don't feel like it was something along the lines of it's not like a real world series if you didn't play 162 games. Yeah, something it along feels, that line. So it just feels very, and it's just like the you know like the seven inning. It doesn't it feels bizarre, and I know we'll probably get into it. It feels we go on here, but it just it doesn't feel like it would be like I don't know. I don't feel like I would be like oh, super into a Mets World Series if they won it like this. You know, like it just yeah. feels so strange. The feel just feels weird. And again, it's a testament to the times. I think everything feels strange right now. Right. Yeah, everything does feel strange. Let's talk about a couple of those things that are interesting here. It's like you will brought up the idea of the seven inning double headers, and this is something that oh, that it's in round organized baseball is not in the major leagues. I mean, I've worked for an independent league team. They do this. They play seven inning double headers. The minor leagues now do seven inning scheduled double headers, and like the idea here is that you know, like you're trying to cram these games in here. You know, you're gonna obviously put a burn on these pitchers, and I think this is something I think could sustain going forward because like. A lot of the issues are all like relief pitching, all the pitching changes. Like if you're playing 14 innings of baseball in a day instead of 18 on a double header day, I don't think it's that big of a deal. Yeah, I I, I definitely like that's what I I mean. Like, listen, if it's if you go in and, and this is like what happens now, baseball becomes seven innings. I I mean I don't I don't know. It's I think that's a tough sell. I think it's a tough sell. I really do. Not even being like some like. That's just such a ramification. There's such a change. It's bizarre. I know it's only two innings, but, but that's just I don't yeah. know. Yeah, might be that's just for think, double I mean, that's, just, that's just double headers. A, that's not for like yeah, every no, game. No, I feel that. No, no, definitely. Even then though, you know what? I just feel like this is weird, but I guess 
that's like a minor enough thing that would make sense, you know, if, if for player safety too. You don't want them sitting out, you know, all day playing playing baseball like that's long. But I don't know. I it's just every I, I'm just not into it. I don't know. I guess I'm just super into like what I grew up with, and I mm-hmm. and it's just going to be weird to see any change to it. But of course, that's going to happen. You know, that's just my personal preference. Well, yeah, I mean, there's going to be some change to the game, especially if it's because they're planning on doing this in May. And, you know, we're what, about two and a half weeks into, you know, the opening of the season. So that's already like 10, 15 games or so lost. So yeah. we got, we're going to have to see how they're going to change it. In terms well, of, you know, kind of going with double headers, I, the only thing I'm worried, like, I, I agree with you, where, like, I don't want to, like, see the game change, like, how we grew up watching it. But I'm just concerned, you know, for the players point of view a player's perspective is you know they're out there for 14 innings a day a minimum and that's not even saying the games go into extras but you know injuries have to start coming in your head for everything yeah it's just like a it's um i was thinking about that too because like i don't you know it doesn't it kind of feel like a fa- like okay we want to make the game shorter but like how many of those games are going to end at cap directly at something you know what i mean like you could right. what if you go into extra innings it could be long and i guess that's just the game and i get the idea of this narrowing it down as much but I don't I just feel like it's so it, it, it's like such a it only it's only two innings but I, it is such a difference man like you know what I mean like on on records on all that mm-hmm. stuff it's just so it's so bizarre and, and and I don't know I saw some people saying like they still want to get a hundred plus games in. doesn't it just feel like that's gonna nuts? be nuts there's no way I, I just feel like be- that's insane. But then again, on the other side of it, like, listen, if they play an 80 game season, that's just not baseball. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just such like a split. It's so, it's so, uh, it's kind of like a lose lose situation, I feel like, with, with the people who are fans like us. Right. Yeah, let's talk about the roster size for me. That's another thing that they talk about is that the roster size has expanded because right now there's no plan for like a minor league season. Like, sort of like there's no minor league bubble because there's no point because. Those organizations are driven by gate revenue. If you can't have fans, there's no point running minor leagues. So, like, you have to bring more players into this bubble, sustain you. Like, if, say, you steal an injury, you guys to go on the injured list and you have to replace him. Like, how big are these rosters have to be to accommodate, like, a full season bubble? Yeah, isn't that, that's, I mean, so what is it when, what was it? Wasn't it 30? It was, was going to be 26 to start the season. Then it was going to go to 28 in September. Yeah, and, and what was it when it, the roster call-ups that used to be that they got 40, rid of? 40. Yeah, so yeah. that was absurd. Um, yeah, so it's funny because it's just the pitching, don't you think? Like teams are just going to, especially if you have those double headers that frequently, I mean, the amount of pitching that you're going to need in all those fresh arms, it's going to be crazy. You know, how many how many pitchers you could see in that span? Um, and then the injuries, of course, to your position players are big, uh, you know, that you always have to plan for that. But I think it's just going to be for the pitchers in general. I mean, we see an asinine amount of pit, uh, <laughs> pitching changes now. Imagine it's going to be like when you're playing double headers every week. Yeah, I think honestly, I think the number I I could see them doing something like you know like we're going to bring fifty players per team to Arizona, but like you have to, like say thirty five active on game day or something like that. Could be a, like a compromise they do. It's like okay, like. This pitcher's inactive today. He can't pitch in this game. That could be a workaround you could do in theory. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm just thinking of, you know, all the pitchers are going to need. Just look at the game in the last five to six years, how much it's changed. You know, you you got your starters only going, like, five innings. Now, if you implement, yeah. you know, seven-inning double-header, yeah. you're going to have your starters going, what, 
two to four, two to three innings. I mean, that's not even baseball to me. It's like, and well, like, like you said, you know, constantly just going to uh, constantly changing pitchers and everything. It's going to be ridiculous. Yeah, it's just like, it, and the fact that like so many teams kind of run that like six man now, or like mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're kind of manipulating your rotation to where you're like, you know, Degrom's getting an extra day here or there. So, you know, again, it's it's going to be that's it. Just feels like a push, and um, I know like, hey, that's tough. That's life. You guys got to pay a lot to do it. So maybe if you compromise for a year, it's not the end of the world. But uh, yeah, there does it just does feel like there's a lot of risk when you involved with like. Hundred million dollar investment, <laughs> right? And I mean, just another thing that I kind of just randomly thought of too is, what does that mean for like record books? You know, like yeah, it's, it's, is, is, a, yeah. is a perfect game is a no hitter? Is it gonna you know technically count because you only went seven innings? Or, yeah, no, this is that, that that's kind of where I'm at. Where like whoever wins MVP or wins Cy Young, whoever wins uh, World Series, I mean, you're a fan of that player, that team, you're gonna be defending it till the day you die because right. people are gonna be shut. You know, it's just it, it's one of those things. I was looking at it last night. I was looking at Mike Trout's, Trout's war, and uh, you know, it's wild to think like what happens now if they don't even they don't even play or, or, right. or he's playing less innings. Like he he could have went and broken that record, but now it's just you know, and that's just life. That's just how it goes. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's just gonna be it's gonna be weird if you're if you're kind of doing it. Because think of it too, like if you're playing that many games and all those double headers, like are you going to be playing Mike Trout back to back in a double header? Are you going to be playing, you know, um, you know, Pete Alonzo, Aaron Judge, these guys back to back in double headers? You're you're basically taking a game a week and taking your best players out of the lineup. And then what right. if you have like a day game the next day or something vicious like mm-hmm. that? Or then like, it's just it's a lot of wear and tear on these guys for sure, especially the position players. You know, and oh, I mean, yeah. how many catchers are you going to run with too? Because you cannot do that with two to three. There's no, no way I'll, you're going to need like <laughs> three to four. Yeah, you know. So it, that that's kind of like where I, I feel like if you're a fan of a team like the Angels or you know the the Yankees, where ju- you know you're missing your best player for two to three games a week, if that comes, like that's insane. That's 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 crazy to me. Yeah, I think in terms yeah, of I mean, the, the argument about the logistics, about the legitimacy of like the records and all that, I will say like we've had strange seasons in baseball before. It's just I think. Given the situation, I think now we'll complain about it. be like if we actually get baseball, no one's gonna care, and no one's gonna look back in ten years and say, "Oh, that was the Corona year." That's not, that doesn't mean anything because we had 1981. We had a split season where like the Cincinnati Reds are the best player in baseball. They make the playoffs because of the system. The Dodgers won the World Series that year over the Yankees. No one's saying that their championship's illegitimate. Yeah, it's just new. You know, you know how everybody is now. Yeah, <laughs> that's I my mean, thing. The sports climate now is so toxic and stuff like that. That's just my thing. Like it's going to be like <laughs> insane. <laughs> yeah. But hey, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. <laughs> yeah, if we get there, I mean, at this, this point, yeah. it is worth knowing that this is a contingency plan. I mean, the dream that these guys, these teams, still have that they're able to play in their own ballparks. The longer this goes, the less likely it seems. But like. This is like something worth discussing because, like, we obviously this might be the only way you get baseball this year. But I want to talk about here, like, what do you, each of you guys think is the biggest issue with this Arizona bubble plan? I, I just the idea that everyone is is there. I don't know. It just feels like a like a like a you know cluster, doesn't it? Just, I just feel like it's just like a lot going on in one place and like a lot that can go wrong. And It's going to feel I, like I, a giant like high school state tournament. Yeah. And, and, like. Right? Yeah. Like those those weekend tournaments. Yeah. And I, I, I just I don't, I'm 
the, the not playing with the fans is just, I don't know, to me, that's a big part of it. And I know you cannot do anything about that, but yeah. um, that's just like, it's weird. And like you said, you kind of nailed it. It's going to feel like one of those high school baseball tournaments. <laughs> and I don't know. I, to me, I just, I don't, I just don't, I'm not into that. It's just bizarre to me that everybody's going to be down there. Like, I feel like you're not going to be getting the training, you know, all the, all the necessities that you need um, for a full season. It just, and, and I'm sure there are like implemented things within this plan where you guys get bullpens, guy get guys get treatment and stuff. But it just doesn't it kind of feel like these baseball players are going into like a like a high machine back into their minor league days. Like that's where it's going to feel like. Yeah. Except of, co- mean, except of course, when they get paid, it's you know it's not their minor league wages. But that's just my thing. I just feel like it's 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 it, it's a lot going on in one place. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that completely like 100% I just there's so many logistics that they have to get right that I don't think they're even kind of like in the right realm to like uh, kind of go about it right now just the things that they're proposing there's too many logistical questions like you know how many catchers are we going to carry how big we're going to open up the roster to it's there's just so much the tiny little details that you have to think about and then, of course, everything that you just mentioned before, without even echoing you, just you know, high school state, uh, state high school tournament. You know, you got thousands of people, thousands of uh, major league players, and everything, and the staff, and everything. It just it it seems just one giant cluster. Yeah, exactly. That's that's exactly. Yeah, I, I it's it's a, it's a lot of moving parts, in my opinion. And, and yeah. um, I the idea that they're going to be a you know, they got to be away from their families for a while too. And so on. Like, I, I just, I don't know. Like I, cause didn't players already do the agreement where like they'll get a percentage of their salary if it is, or if it's not played, they just get the percentage of their salary in, in the year of service time. Like, yeah, that's, I don't know if I'm a, yeah, if what I'm a happened? player, do I, yeah, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, sorry. I don't want to. Yeah, to, cl- to clarify on that, the agreement that the players and the owners raised basically that the owners advance 4% of the total salaries. And so basically, like, it's based on like tiers of experience. Like, like the most experienced player get $150,000 for the year if there's no baseball played, but they do get the year of service time. So, like, in theory, if there's no baseball season, Mookie Betts could be a free agent ever playing a game for the Dodgers. Yeah, I, I actually, not to go down a rabbit hole, but isn't that fascinating? Like, that would honestly be. Like do you, do you think the Red Sox or the the Dodgers get some sort of like compensation or something? <laughs> like that is hilarious. Not hilarious. I mean, I got kind of hilarious, but yeah, I um, that to me though, like the players are obviously not like they 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 covered their end there. I am super surprised that they would be willing to kind of. I know they want to play, but doesn't this feel like if like again, like if I am Aaron Judge and I'm I'm on the DL often. Why do I want to go out there and do that and risk it like that? Like that is that is pushing your your body a mm-hmm. lot, in my opinion. And if he was, you know, and like there's a long list of injury form guys, and specifically pitchers. Like I, I just feel like you're kind of going to leapfrog the off days and stuff like that, and it's it, it's just going to be it's just going to be kind of like a ticking time bomb, for lack of a better term, where it's like it's just a matter of time. We see it in baseball already. People get, you know, an onslaught of injuries. It mm-hmm. just, this just feels like it's kind of like playing into that. Yeah. One thing I think we haven't brought up yet, I think is very interesting here. That people don't realize is that, which is these teams are being played in Arizona and there's no domes on any stadium except for Chase Field. 
It gets to 110, yeah. 115 degrees during the day in the summer. How are you playing baseball safely in those conditions? No, you nailed it, too, dude. I mean, doesn't that, that just further plays into it, right? Like, that these guys, I mean, that is so much wear. I'm not trying to be dramatic. There's a lot of wear and tear on your body, a lot. Mm. And like you said, like, like there's, those are hot, like dry, dry, hot days, too. You know, I mean, that's, that, that's a lot. Especially, again, right back to it, to your pitchers. To your to your relief pitchers, to your starting pitchers. That's where I feel like you're going to see such a um, such a decline almost in the brand you're watching, right? Like it's like like is, is Garrett Cole going to be out there throwing BBs in 115? I know he played Houston, but they they had their retractable roof, you know. Yeah, yeah. Let's... I mean, again, there's just so many logistics there. I don't think they're addressing this. It, I think it's it's a great idea in theory, but with all the moving parts that are just going on, I see it as an absolute long shot. Yeah. Yeah, let's go ahead to another model just emerged today. This is from it came out today from Bob Nightingale of USA Today. And apparently instead of doing one bubbles, League is hearing doing two bubbles, one in Florida, one in Arizona around the spring training complexes. Basically this idea is that for one year only we split the league into the Grapefruit League and the Cactus League and you make up new divisions based on where these teams play in Florida. Yeah. Like, like for example, the Met division in that scenario would be the Nationals, the Astros, the, yeah, the, the I mean, Cardinals, and the Marlins. You, according to the schedule they came up with, you basically play 108 games. You play 12 games against your division and six games against the rest of your Cactus League or Grapefruit League. You do a universal DH for the year so that they, so that teams, because it's not an, obviously an even American League, National League split. They're talking about you have 26 parks in this plan, and you have three dome stadiums in Chase Field, Marlins Park, and 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 the Trop down in Tampa Bay. And the thing I, I think this plan is a more realistic logistics plan because again, you have a lot of these players have like home like are, are these, oh, teams, yeah, these teams are, yeah these teams are going to their own facilities. The players have usually like houses or places they stay near those. So that takes care of the lodging issue. Like, I feel like this is more realistic, but it still has its own problems. Um, yeah, logistically, it, this is like you're the, like that's it to me. This is the only one you actually really consider because of that logistics. But I mean, honestly, we just talked about overlooking seasons and stuff like that, dude. I this is there's no way the Yankees. Have you, did you see the Yankees division? They might win 100 freaking 30 games if they yeah, play that. It's just what we were echoing before. You know, we want baseball to be as close to what baseball is. We don't want a whole new, completely no nah, that. Yeah, it's that's ridiculous. crazy, dude. Like you are you are altering your your off season based on what happens in your division. All of a sudden, it's like, oh, here's the mess. Oh, you thought you had to worry about the Nationals and the Phillies? Oh, well, guess what? Here's the Houston Astros, who literally just won a World Series two years ago. And here's the Nationals who just won the World Series. Like, I just feel like it's that is that's crazy. And I know, like, it's the only way you could do it, but isn't that nuts? To me, that's not it. Like, like I will remember in 10 years if that's the case. You know what I mean? Like, if my kid's like, oh, what happened to the Mets this year, that year where they lost uh, 90 games? I'll be like, oh, yeah, that's when this happened and they had to readjust and realign the divisions that we played the, you know, the uh, nationals and Astros all the time. It's just, that's crazy because it, seriously, um, the Yankees, I'm not even kidding. I think it was like the pirates and another really terrible team were in that Detroit's in and there. They were, 
Yeah, dude, they wouldn't. That's it. they like what they they might win or they might lose three games to them. <laughs> like that's crazy to me. Yeah, you you you're arguing against this plan if you're looking at division wise is the Cactus League Northwest Division, which is Milwaukee, San Diego, Seattle, Texas, and Kansas City. One of those teams yeah. would be a playoff team. I mean, come on. <laughs> that's what I'm. That's that's tough. I'm. You know what I'm trying to say? Like I'm trying to be as fair as I can and open minded to it. But that is that's a lot to ask, man. That is a lot to ask. Like wow, especially who like the Indians. You know what I mean? Like it's like and um the Twins. Like okay, let's build because you know let's not maybe have to go spend an extra dollar on this pitcher in free agency because we have such a uh, top heavy division. And then boom, ah, it's crazy. That's that's a lot. That's a lot. Especially you know everybody has made their off season plans. They're good to go. We're we're ready to go. And then all of a sudden, here you go, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think in terms of competitiveness, I think this one definitely one you look at and put an asterisk next to whoever wins in this in this scenario because you'd be like, this is not the usual division, this is not the usual practice. Like, I feel like they would also there's rumors going on that this would be like an expanded postseason where you would have more wild cards. I think you would have to do something like that to be, for, for competitive fairness because you would look at teams like, like you said, the Mets who did not plan to be a division with both World Series teams and the Cardinals. Yeah, and the Cardinals, that's the other team I forgot. I mean, the Cardinals could damn well win the, the National League Central. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, those are three. You're looking at, what, three potentially 90-plus win teams. I mean, that is not – and you're robbing one of those teams, you know? Like yeah. you just said with the other division, mm-hmm. one of those teams are going to play off. One of these teams is not, and they built to contend. Like, it's that. I know like back in the old days you had that a lot where, like, 90-win teams wouldn't make the playoffs, but oof. Yeah, it would be it would be interesting. So I'm gonna end with this. I'll throw both of you this way. If the only way we get baseball in 2020 is one of these options, would you want it? I would go with the uh, if I had to, I'd go with the first one. Albeit, like I just kind of the Arizona plan through. Yeah, how I ran through the uh, logistics wouldn't work. But I mean, that's gonna resemble baseball the most. The second one. I just can't get behind that at all. Not even because I'm a Mets fan and I want to see them win. Seriously, taking that bias out of it, I think it's crazy. Like that, those divisions are. I know you got to work with what you got, but that's that's a lot of uh, changing to me. I think that Florida plan. Well, I mean, I'm in the same board as you. I'd rather have Arizona as opposed to if, if any of those. But I think just in terms of like the Florida proponents changing, you know, Texas in the Grapefruit League. I think. That's just ultimately going to, because, you know, the divisions are so, are so crazy. I think that's ultimately going to be, you know, that's not going to bring in any new fans that would start, you know, kind of being, I don't want to watch this team, you know, win like every single game. I mean, yeah, it could be entertaining, but part of the allure of baseball is that, you know, pretty much every year there's a new World Series champion, especially, you know, come September, any team could be in it. It's just whoever gets hot. So that's the allure of baseball, where if you throw, you know, a team that's like the Yankees, like the Astros, and they're throwing them into like these sub five hundred teams. It's it's not even it's, yeah, it's nothing. It just kind of feels like you're hijacking one team's ability to contend, and then you're like gift wrapping. Uh, again, not because I I really don't have an issue with the Yankees. I truly don't. But then you're kind of gift wrapping that to them, oh, where it's no, like I, I agree. you know. 100%. Yeah. Like the Yankees were going to run away with the AL East probably with like a good Red Sox team, a decent Blue Jays team, and so on. And then it's like, again, boom, here you go. 40 wins, gift wrap. <laughs> that, right. That's just my issue with it. And again, 
I'm trying not to sound biased. I mean, I, there's, there might be other teams that had divisions like that, but that's the one that really, really stuck out to me. And I was like, oh my God, they might not lose. <laughs> yeah, it is worth noting that was just one proposal I had because in theory, I think that one was based more on geography in terms of like where it's easier to get the for travel sure, to. I mean, sure, yeah. I mean, in theory, you look at the Florida proposal, you could put the entire National League East American League East together, but then you sort of have a mishmash of the other division, I think, of like Minnesota, St. Louis, I think I'm trying to look who else is in that in that group here. Detroit, Pittsburgh, and I believe the fifth one in that group is I'm trying to remember who it is, but like oh Houston would be the fifth. Like that would be the mishmash division. Like you could yeah, have you could have two on, two complete divisions, then the third one's a disaster. Yeah, I was gonna be I was like, Oh, that's not bad until so you put Houston in on the end of it. Yeah, that's kind of unfair. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but hey, maybe that's their punishment. I don't know. Good luck. But yeah, I, I, it it would be either way you you dice it up. There's going to have to be a compromise. So if I had to compromise, though, it, yeah, like I said, it would be the Arizona one. All right, there we have it. The baseball beat. Talking about these crazy theories to try and get some baseball in our lives that the league's considering. I want to give you guys a chance to plug your social media with some of the stuff you're up to. Will, how about you first? Oh uh, yeah, follow me on Twitter at Will Schneider H one and. Uh, some NFL content coming out, especially since uh, the draft, the virtual draft is uh, <laughs> is upon us. So yeah, just uh, give me a follow there. Anthony, how about you? Uh, yeah, I mean, just keeping busy uh, with uh, NBA stuff like that. Uh, photography is kind of unfortunately on a on a hold right now until sports start and everything. But uh, yeah, uh, check me out on Instagram at Sorbellini Photos, and then on Twitter um, at Ant underscore Sorbellini. All right, there you have it. Thanks, guys, for coming on. I really appreciate it. All right, up next, we'll go on to the legal side of these things. Look at some of the more logistical legal financial hurdles on this with our legal correspondent, Phil Fryetta, right after this. All right, we are back here on the Just Tennis Offering Podcast. We just talked to the baseball beat about the playing aspects of this play. Now look at some legal financial ramifications of this playing with the podcast legal correspondent, Phil Fryetta. Phil, welcome. How are you? Um, I'm doing good, Mike. Uh, how are you? Doing pretty good. Quarantine life going okay? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, the new normal. I wish I, uh, I wish I knew what some of the guys said about the uh the playing aspects but um i guess i'll have to wait for the episode to, to listen to that yeah we talk about some of the stuff like the sevening double headers the roster sizes the dh we're going to talk folks more on some of the legal fi- like financial aspects of this thing so let's start with this we'll start with the arizona plan which came out last like earlier this week recording also on friday the 10th jeff passed from espn reported it what was your initial reaction when you saw that this is an idea that mlb is considering Initially, I was very excited, but uh, as the days have gone on and as I've talked to more people, including uh, Justin, who I was on with a couple weeks ago, uh, I've I've started to sour on the idea, and I've realized that um, I, I just I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah, I feel like there are a lot of logistical ish nightmares that could happen with such these plans. So, what are some of the biggest hurdles you would see? So to me, the biggest hurdle is how do you possibly limit 
exposure to the outside world. You know, there's a lot of various moving pieces when you're talking about a baseball game. So it's not just the players on the field. You have the coaches, you have the umpires, you have the clubhouse personnel. How are you supposed to limit all of these people from contact with the outside world? Just it doesn't doesn't seem realistic. Yeah, it's, like you said, it's, it's not just the players on the field, not just the even the coach, the umpires. I got like broadcast crews, the hotel staff, where they be working at, the people who are going to feed these people, like anybody can come in contact with. That's a gigantic bubble you're bringing, like literally about two thousand people into in, in the span of like a couple of weeks. Right, and look, uh, to be fair to MLB, what is intriguing about Arizona is that all of these spring training parks in Arizona are within fifty miles of one another. So you can, it's a small radius and you can really cut down on travel time. Food, you could probably handle through a clubhouse chef. But but even so, you're still talking about a lot of people. You're right, there's broadcast crews, there's hotel staff. There's, there's a lot of people who either you inevitably come in contact with. Not to mention, we haven't even talked about the players' families yet. Uh, and I'm not sure how many players are going to be okay going to Arizona without their family for five months. Yeah, that's one problem. One, obviously, we'll talk about the why this is all coming together, which is sort of this whole idea. The sports all need revenue. They all want to generate revenue to avoid like lowering payrolls, lowering salary caps the next year. And baseball is one of these sports where the gate revenue is big because not all teams are on the national TV contract like the NFL is. And... You think you figure teams like you know Kansas City rely more on the gate than a team like the Yankees, which has their own broadcast network and their own rights deals. So, like, do you think that we need need to see some sort of revenue sharing model be popped in here for to help some of these smaller market clubs out? Maybe, but then again, what's the alternative? No revenue. The Kansas City Royals are going to do better if they if they have some revenue than no revenue. So, so I. I think that's going to be the argument of the bigger market clubs is, hey, look, what we're doing is we're coming up with a way for you to get something. So you should, uh, you know, fall in line. Another idea that, and I, 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 this was not in the article, but this is me spitballing, is if I was MLB, I would charge a licensing fee to, or a subscription service, kind of like a Netflix they're like, you can watch all the baseball you want while you're stuck in your house. All you got to do is pay 50 bucks a month, 15 bucks a month, whatever it is. A lot of people are going to pay it. Yeah, sort of do like do the so the MLB extra innings plan, sort of like take it or like MLB, like MLB.com's like live game thing is sort of expanded to like here on your TV carrier, you can add this package for $15. You get every game every day for all you want. Yeah, yeah, that, that's. That's what I would do if I were Major League Baseball. They'll make up some revenue that way, and you could share that revenue amongst the teams. Yeah, one other thing I thought of as the interesting is like obviously like right now like if they get this off, they might be one of the only sports games in town right now. So like, and TV networks are hurting for content because all their productions on like primetime series have been shut down. Like, like some of the reality shows even get shut down because you need you can't bring more than like fifty people in an area together due to, due to various wall restrictions. So like. If you're baseball, do you go to these networks like Fox, like ESPN, and say, you know what, like, 
we'll give you extra national gains for your air. You give us more money. That'd be another thing they could look into. Absolutely. And, and that's, that is why you keep hearing about these plans in the, in the news, uh, because major league baseball, both the league and the players association knows that there is so much money to be made here. If they can get this thing going. So they're, they're trying anything they could possibly come up with because like you said, they're, they're the only show in town. The amount of money that baseball would make on this would be astronomical. And it, it may also get people back into the sport. So, so there's a future benefit too. Um, not to mention the politics behind it. Uh, I don't think it's any secret that the president would love to get Major League Baseball up and running for the summer uh, to uh, at least have some sort of sense of normalcy around around the country. Yeah, because I saw that article where, that Jeff Passant wrote. That some of the national medical experts are intrigued by this idea of using baseball sort of like a test lab to show the general public, like, hey, we're not all the way back to normal yet because we don't have a vaccine, but you can go about your lives. You do things as a new normal. Like, you maintain social distance. If you, like, are careful with who you come in contact with, like, you can still play baseball, but it has to be in a more cautious state. Yeah, yeah, and, and I think there's a political motive there, too. And, uh, look, I understand that baseball players are young and healthy, uh, but I'm not a doctor, but I have read uh, some of the news articles and I don't think being young and healthy is a, a uh, means you can't get this virus and it can't be bad but you know you have a much better chance so uh, I'd leave that to the medical guys but I think there's there's a political motive to get baseball going as well as a economic motive yeah let's go to some of the other legal aspects I'm curious about because like one thing is obviously you have this bubble that you're going to put everybody in. Everybody goes to Arizona. They all go to their, their place or whatever. So, like, how tight is this bubble? Can you legally make? Like, for example, like, are the players, coaches, like, officials, like, once they get there, they can't leave for four and a half months. That just, I was assuming that's the operation here. What about, like, if you work at the hotel, you have to live at the hotel while you're in this bubble? You got to go home to your family? Like, what do you think about something like that? Like, how far can they stretch this? So, so that that's the problem. Uh, the first part of your question is a little easier. The, the un, if the union said, yeah, we're on board here, the union and Major League Baseball can come up with some sort of an addendum to the CBA for, for this circumstance, and they can define rules for the players and for the personnel. And, and that, that's not such a big deal, as long as the union agrees to it and the league agrees to it, which I think is unlikely, but it's at least possible. The outside world, though, is where I think it becomes legally impossible. I, I don't see how the hotel can tell their employees, you have to sleep in the hotel and you can't go home to your families because the Yankees are staying here this weekend. That, that, doesn't, that just doesn't make any sense to me from a legal perspective. Uh, you, uh, I suppose you could offer them incentives. You could tell them we're going to bump up your pay if you agree to do that, but you can't force the hotel workers to do it. And uh, uh, I guess Major League Baseball could try and throw them some money to incentivize it, but you can't force it. Yeah, and also you have like your broadcast crews as well. I mean, like they're like they're not leaving either. So that's another legal handle because they're not going to they're not bound by a CBA. So like 
what happens if like somebody's like radio voice is there and then like somebody back home is sick they're not allowed to leave and go see them same same issue uh, i suppose you could tell the broadcast guys look we're going to pay you more money now i i guess you could probably broadcast remotely and you'd know more about that than me given that you're this is you're in this industry but i, I don't see why you wouldn't be able to watch a live feed back from a uh, studio somewhere in in a in your home or near your home and broadcast the game that way. I mean, that's definitely possible because we saw the other day that SNY on their Twitter account basically had Gary Cohen, Keith Hernandez, Ron Dolly all from their homes call a simulated game to the Mets and the Astros on MLB's the, MLB the show. So that's a logistical possibility, but like. Let's say, for instance, there's a player in this season, like like Jeff Passett brought up the ESPN the day, like Mike Trout's wife is pregnant and is due in the middle of the season. Mike Trout is not going to be not be allowed to leave the bubble in this scenario, and that could be a problem. That's why I, I, that's one reason why I don't think it's going to happen. I, I I don't see how the union's going to sign off on this plan. They're going to have a lot of opposition from some of their members. I know there's some players have come out and said I'm in favor of it. Let's do it, but. The union is not about some, it's about all. So, uh, so what are you going to do with the holdouts? Are you going to tell Mike that you're going to have a baseball season without Mike Trout? That, that just doesn't seem, doesn't seem doable. Or like, let's say hypothetically, he does leave the bubble. He goes and sees his pregnant wife. He sees the birth of his child. He comes back. He has to go, then he has to go into a quarantine for two weeks. I don't think that's going to look, go look great either. Uh, yeah, it's not. Now, I guess the flip side to that is it's, it's better than no baseball, right? Yeah. Uh, but but it's 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 a very uh, difficult and I think unrealistic situation. And we haven't even talked about the weather yet, which is another huge logistical hurdle. Uh, Arizona is not exactly a place you want to be playing outdoor baseball games in July and August. Joe and Evan the on WFAN, I think earlier this week, were discussing this theory. They said that, you know, like, you're going to have to play games at off-brand times. Like, you might have to play baseball at 8 in the morning if you're doing this, or, like, very late at night, so you're avoiding the dry heat in the middle of the day, and that's going to create, like, weird broadcasting windows. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the only way to do it. It's too hot. That's, that's the reason why the Diamondbacks have a retractable roof situation, so they can close that thing up in the middle of August when it's, 105, 110 degrees. Uh, so again, I don't know if the Players Association is going to go for it. And and I know that it's it's easy to sit at home and say, well, you know what? These guys are making millions of dollars a year and I can't even go to work, so they should suck it up. But the Players Union has a lot of power and uh, I don't think they're going to just feed their power to go sweat in 110 degree heat and be quarantined from their families. I, I, I'd be surprised. Yeah, which, which brings up another point that I've been thinking about. It's also interesting. Like, what happens, like you said before, like a lot of these players are young, they're healthy, they should be able to withstand the virus. What if you have a player on a team who, like, is, like, more immunocompromised and says, you know what, like, I don't feel safe in this situation. I don't want to go play in the bubble this year. Like, what happens to him? Is his contract voided? Is he just forced to not get paid this year? Like, that's another logistical nightmare. Yeah, that's something they'd have to work out in the CBA or whatever sort of agreement they come to. Uh, now, there is at least so one 
sort of precedent out there, and that's uh, the WWE, which is operating now without fans. Uh, they they just had WrestleMania last weekend, and they're 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 chugging along without any fans. Uh, and so far, it's been okay. Now, uh, I'm not a big wrestling guy, but I know a little bit, and uh, I know that Roman Reigns was supposed to have a title match and he uh, had a recent cancer diagnosis. So he backed out because of what you just said, that he, he thought that his health was in jeopardy. I, I don't know how the WWE worked that out with him, but there there's at least something of a precedent there that you can look to, to see uh, if we can get this going. Yeah. That's an interesting hurdle to keep an eye on as well. Another thing that this plan doesn't cover is obviously if this happens, there's going to be no minor league season because it doesn't make sense to throw the minor leagues in the bowl because they don't get any real revenue from broadcast rights. It's all from gates. So, like, like what happens to some of these minor league teams who could go a full year without having any baseball? Yeah, the, 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 it's going to be a disaster for them. But uh, but there's no way you're going to have minor league baseball. Uh, what what I've seen, I've seen some ideas proposed. One is expand the rosters, maybe make it 30 players or 29 players or so instead of 26 so you can add a couple of guys who otherwise would be in the minor leagues that that gives you close to 100 jobs across major league baseball so you, you can knock off some guys that way but other than that I, I don't really think there's much you can do for the minor leagues uh they, they're gonna they're just gonna take a hit yeah and you wonder also it's like at some point like you have to worry about like you know like I, I, you only have so many bodies there. If people get hurt, you're going to need to have extra people inside the bubble ready to go. So, like, you're asking some of these minor leaguers who would normally be playing games just sort of hit, sit around in a room for, like, four months or hang out, like, in the stands watching a game when they might, might, might not play the whole season just as an insurance policy. Yeah. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to have to do that. You're going to have to have may, – maybe almost do, like, uh, what the NFL does. You have, like, practice squad guys who aren't on the active roster, but they're – they work out with the team, so they're ready to step in if somebody gets hurt. You think those guys also get service time as well? Considering they're getting like major league, like major league minimum pay, they'd be with the team. Like that would, I think that'd be an incentive for like the minor leaguers to like say, like you know, what, like I can just hang around. I'll get a year of big league service time, and the next year if things are back to normal. I get a much higher minor league salary. Yeah, the union could work something out like that. Uh, that that's certainly possible. That, now the other little uh, wrench in here is the, is the draft for the same kind of reason you said nobody's playing baseball at any level across the country right now. There's no high school games, there's no college games. So what do you do with those guys? Yeah. The sense that I got about the draft is obviously we heard the reports that like they gave the agreement that the t- owners and the players need to a couple of weeks ago, Rob Manfred has the power to shrink the draft to as few as five rounds this year, if necessary. And then, as he was 20 rounds next year. They just setting the stage for the inevitable contraction of a bunch of those minor league teams that were, we talked about this back in November, who were going to try and fight the contraction order, but with no revenue for a year, baseball sort of holds the hammer here. They might say, you know what, like we're going to shrink our minors going forward. We're going to go to our plan here and just prop up the ones we like and get rid of those 42 affiliates that are useless to us. Yeah, that, that's what I think you're right. I think that's what happens. I think, I think minor league baseball is in a tough spot to begin with, but, this uh, this virus is, has a good chance to really put a lot of minor league teams out of business. Here's another interesting scenario I thought of logistically here. Let's point this out. You're like, 
let's say, for instance, like right now is a transaction freeze. Nobody can be added to rosters. Nobody can be subtracted, so on and so forth. Like, let's say, for instance, a team like suffers an injury. They want to sign Yasiel Puig, who is not currently employed by a big league team. They sign him. He has to go into quarantine for two weeks. Like, how much of a problem is that? Like, with for this situation here. Look, it's it's a problem, sure. But again, what's what's the alternative? If I were arguing the other side, that's what I'd say. Yasiel Puig, what's your alternative? You want to be a free agent forever? At least we're giving you a chance to have a job now. Yeah, that's that's all. That's true. That's going to be something I think is interesting because I feel like anybody outside that bubble, if they enter it, they're going to obviously gonna be have to wait two weeks. And again, we should point out that all these are contingent on the fact that right now. These are all recommendations that would happen, assuming that there is enough testing to go around for everybody, not just because right now we don't have enough testing for the first responders. People who are actually sick. They're not going to test suppose, potentially healthy baseball players if if there's nothing going on here because it's a bad look otherwise. Well, yeah, and, and that's, that's where you get into some of the politics too. Uh, as much as I'm sure that the president would love to have Major League Baseball this summer, it's a real bad look if he's taking tests that could have been used for nurses, doctors, and police officers, and he's using them on Major League Baseball players. Yes, we saw what happened in the NBA once all the players started getting tested, like who were asymptomatic, and you heard people screaming from the rafters, you know what, like, why is this NBA millionaire getting a test while my neighbor who's 65 and sick can't get one? Yeah, yeah, so uh, that that's a, that's a tough line. Now, I, I don't, I follow the news, uh, but who, who knows how far we are from having widespread available testing, both for the virus and for the antibodies. Yeah, like, that's the thing people don't realize is, like, that's really the key to unlocking the whole, not just the sports, but the whole economy is just, like, this idea you need to be able to test people and figure out who's had this virus, who doesn't have it, who has immunity, who doesn't, and then once you get the cases down low enough, be able to do this thing that South Korea did with the contract tracing where, like, if you identify somebody who has the virus, then you can identify who they came in contact with, isolate all of them while the healthy people go back to work. Sure, sure. And, and yeah, I don't want to get too far into the logistics of the medical stuff. But, you know, to the extent anybody thinks that we're just going to stay at home and the virus is going to die, and we're going to go back to normal. That, that's not the case. That's not that's not what's going to happen. And it's not what anybody thinks is going to happen. The whole point of staying at home is just to limit the spread so that the hospital system can weather the blow until we get uh, additional testing. And like you said, in the antibodies, so we can figure out who actually has this thing and yeah. who has had it. Yeah. The only way things get completely back to normal is, is, is through testing. And one of two things has to happen. You have a therapeutic treatment that actually is proven scientifically to work on the virus. That way, if you get it, you're not like deathly, like you're not chances of dying. Don't skyrocket. Or is actually a vaccine to prevent you from correct, contracting this thing? I would say option B is probably more likely than option A in terms of getting the therapeutic treatment, but still a ways away from that. Yeah, as far as I understand, a vaccine 12 to 18 months is the minimum. Yeah, if they could, if they, even if they fast track the process, they're going to try and do it on an emergency basis. You're not talking about until 2021 at some point actually having a vaccine. Yeah. Yeah, so all this is a long way to say uh, I just I'd love to see baseball this year and I understand and support any sort of creative efforts that they they're coming up with, but 
I think it's just very unlikely that we're going to see any baseball this year. Uh, and that may even extend into the NFL. I know there was a report that there was going to be football, but we will see. We will see. I want to touch on the other plan, the Florida-Arizona hybrid model, which came out on day of recording from USA Today's Bob Nightingale. You actually brought it to my attention earlier in the day where the other model they talk about is send all these teams to their spring training sites. So the 15 Grapefruit League teams go to Florida, 15 Cactus League teams go to Arizona. That solves some logistical problems because you have teams in their home bases. Players usually have their own lodging near their spring training sites. That eliminates the hotel workers for a lot of these situations, but you still have other problems. And I think those can't be ignored either. It's tough to, it shows you how desperate they are because you now have a situation where they're talking about reorganizing the leagues in order to play. Uh, now the, the advantages to the Florida plan are you can separate the players have homes in Florida and Arizona because they have spring training facilities there. So a lot of those guys have homes, especially the better players. So at least you have a place to put them. But the problem with Florida is that the ballparks are so far apart. You know, uh, take, for instance, Jorge Lucy in Tampa where the Mets and the Yankees play. That's 160 miles. It's a three-hour drive to go from one to the other. So uh, you're, you're talking about a lot of travel, and the more travel you have, the more people you expose yourself to from the outside world. Yeah, that is a, a major logistical problem, and like I get the money is a big incentivizing factor, but again, it's just like tough because until we have the testing in place, really, that's the key everything. These players got to be tested on a regular basis. That's really the turning point key, and this is something that I don't know what the I'm not going to speculate on what the logistical issues are and on what the reasons are why it's taking so long to ramp up the testing to scale, but like. That's sort of the key to the whole the whole economy. It's like once like until we can test, we're gonna kind of be in this limbo until stuff gets down to the point where you can slowly reopen things. Not it's like you said before, it's not gonna be a case where like in six weeks we're gonna say okay, theaters are open, the restaurants are all open. It's gonna be a little bit of time just to sort of slowly work things back. Yep, that, that's definitely right. Now there is one benefit of Florida or. On a positive note, and I, I suppose it's positive. It's positive if you want to see baseball again, and that is that the you know Governor DeSantis down there has really taken this virus uh, very lightly. That the state was slow to shut down. He's talking about sending kids back to school. So, from that standpoint, at least I don't think the state government in Florida was going to get in the way. Uh, and I'm sure that the president is not going to get in the way. He wants baseball, so you're going to you may have the politicians at least on your side, and that helps you if you're Major League Baseball as far as getting the players' association to agree to do this. You can say, "Hey, look, uh, the federal government and the state of Florida both say this is fine," but you know it's still a stretch because uh, I, I just I, I think that the people at the union are, are smart. And they're intelligent people, and I, I can't imagine they're going to say, yeah, you know what, let's uh, sacrifice or endanger our players to get some baseball in because there are people at home who want to watch baseball, and President Trump wants people watching some baseball. So from that, I, I just, I really want this to happen. Uh, 
I've said it on your podcast a bunch of times. Baseball is my favorite sport by by a lot. Not even I don't even think it's close anymore. Uh, used to be a one A and one B with football, but the losing of the Giants has kind of soured me on it. Um, and yeah, I, I want to see baseball. I really do, but I, I just I think it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, to get it going. And I appreciate that MLB and MLBPA are trying to come up with these creative ideas to get some baseball, but I just can't see it. The only thing that I can potentially see, and at this point, not sure if it's even worth it, maybe you start a season in August or September and you just play it through December. If if you do that in Florida and Arizona, you could probably play in the winter months. But, I mean, you tell me, is that really worth it? You're talking about a 50 or 60 game season at that point. The question really comes down to this point. It's like, how much do the players really want to get paid? Because, as we know, they signed this deal where they basically got advanced 4% of their salary. It means, like, the most veteran players are only getting 150000 for the year if there's no baseball. And they get paid significantly more, even if it's on a prorated basis. So it's a question of, like, at what point do the players say it's not worth it for us to give, to get that money back? Yeah, that, that's that's a good point, too. I'm sure that uh, – look, I'm sure there's a lot of players who, who this – is having an economic impact on. And I know that that sounds crazy to the listeners of the podcast because you say these people make millions of dollars. And and that is true of the top players in baseball. But the more junior-level guys, the entry-level players, they're making you know five dollars $600,000. And I'm not trying to say that's not a lot of money. That is a lot of money. But if somebody is expecting to make $600,000, and now all of a sudden they're only making $50,000. That That is a big blow to them because they their lifestyle is laid out as if they were going to make $600,000. So they may have houses that they can no longer afford, cars they can no longer afford, things like that. So from the player's financial standpoint, it, it does matter to them uh, to get that money. Maybe it doesn't matter so much to... Mike Trout or Bryce Harper or, you know, guys like that who have those big, big contracts. But to some of these younger players, I, I think they really do need that money. Need might be the wrong word, but that, that money is meaningful. I'll say that. Yeah, it is. And my last question to you is this. I asked uh, the baseball beat guys, too. Like, if the only way you get baseball in 2020 is for you, the Arizona plan or this Florida-Arizona model, would you want it? Oh, I think that's an absolute 100% yes. Uh, I I don't understand why any baseball fan would say no, um, unless you're concerned about the health of the players, which, okay, that, that that's fine. But, uh, you know, putting that aside, um, then, yeah, absolutely. As a fan, it gives it something. It's baseball. It's, it's, not, it's not what I'm used to, but, but it's something. And uh, I'd, I'd tune in to the Yankee games just like I normally do. And I'd probably actually watch more out-of-town games than I normally do because there's nothing else to do. Yeah, it's not like you can go flip, flip the TV on and watch your primetime show because those are going to probably be out of production until late summer. Yes, uh, I would love to see this happen. I don't think it's going to happen. I'd love to see it happen. I feel a little bad saying that because I understand that um, – 
uh, putting other people's lives in danger for my own uh, entertainment. But if, you know, gun to my head, if this could happen, then yeah, I want it to happen. I want to watch the Yankees play this year. I want to watch, uh, I just want to watch baseball. Yeah. And it's, it's fair to say, I think we're all at this point where like, if it's safe to do it, we want it. But like, until we can be shown a way that it can be done safely, like we're, we're, we can understand that if it's not, that if it's not going to happen, it's not going to happen. Right. I think that's right. And, and here's the other thing, what would be an absolute disaster. And I think major league baseball knows this. Let's say you get this season up and running, you play 10 games and then you got to shut it down. That, that, that would be an even worse disaster than just canceling the season. It's the boat the NBA is in right now where they play most of their season. Now they're sitting there like, do we finish this one? Do we sacrifice it and get ready for next year? We push next year back. It's a weird limbo there in MLB, at least at the point where they can say it's eventually, you know what, like 2020 is not going to happen. Let's get ready to be full speed 2021. Right, right. But imagine the kind of egg you'd have on your face. We're going to do this. We're going to open up the season. You play 10, 10 games and some star player is all of a sudden in the hospital because he, he's seriously sick with the coronavirus. That that would be just a, a PR nightmare, just a total nightmare for Major League Baseball. So I don't think they're going to do this unless they are confident that they're going to be able to play a season. And uh, if you've been following, because I have, the Asian Professional Baseball League, they're experiencing similar type problems. They keep pushing their start dates back. They keep thinking they're about to ramp up and then, oh, no, we can't ramp up yet. So I know both I, – I don't think Japan even has a start date and South Korea keeps pushing theirs back. Yeah, now South Korea, I think the target date for exhibition is April 21st. We'll see if it stays there. They're sort of your model where we talk about this off air where it's like if they get going in some fashion, that's a sign of hope for you that you will have MLB in some form. If they can't, that gives, that tells you a lot. Yeah, I, I agree with that. But but. Look, uh, what I would say is if you're a baseball fan, I would not expect that to be going to any games this year. Uh, so if you have that dream, I think you should, you know, start facing reality. And the best case scenario, I think, is that we have baseball in some form. It's not going to be 162 games. I know Scott Boris has talked about that. It's not going to happen. But if you can get yourself Best case scenario, an 81, 100-game season, no crowds. I think you sign up for that any day. I do. You think you, you take what you can get, and you hope that next year everything is in better shape by that point, that we hopefully we have a vaccine or we at least have a, have a treatment. That In 2021, you're, you're able to actually go to a ballpark and not be worried about contracting this disease and potentially risking your life to go watch a baseball game. Yep, and and that, that's the other, uh, the other good point there from the – lawmaking and policy makers uh, perspective is, Hey, you know, if we're going to allow mass gatherings again, there are a lot more mass gatherings that are much more important to the world and the economy than going to Yankee stadium to watch the Yankees play the Orioles in the middle of uh, April. You know, you're talking about getting people back to work and not just people who, you know, like myself, I'm fortunate. I can work from my house and I can be just about as equally productive. There are a lot of people who cannot work if they can't go to the office so uh, or if they can't leave their house. So 
I think if you're talking about mass gatherings, the lawmakers are going to prioritize those people over the guy who wants to go watch the Yankees beat up on the Orioles. Well said, Phil. I think we'll wrap it in on that. Up next, I also want to thank you for coming on. First of all, I really appreciate it. Yeah, th- thanks for having me back. Uh, and I hate to uh, poo-poo the idea. I just I don't think it's going to happen. But I think you're being I, more of a I, realist. That's my, my opinion. I think you're being more realistic than like the pie in the sky hopeful fans are. Yeah, well, but look, uh, that said, I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I hope you're. I hope we're wrong too. I hope that like we'll get something going somewhere. But I'll be talking to you more throughout the summer as we touch on some of these other sports and their situations. But up next, we're going to pop culture and go talk to the great Alan Pines. Get his playlist for what he's watching in the quarantine streaming times right after this. We are back here wrapping up the podcast this week's pop culture segment, bringing you today a new voice in the pop culture coverage. New, not new to the podcast, though. We did talk to him back in December for the fantasy football playoffs. The great Alan Pines with us today. Alan, welcome back to the podcast. How are you? I'm great, Mike. Thanks for having me. It feels good to talk about something, be back on the airwaves amidst all that's going on. And it's, it's really fun to talk what we're going to talk about tonight. Yeah, two things before we get into the actual pop culture stuff. Number one, how did you do in your fantasy football leagues last year? How did your championships go? Well, in the in the big money league, I shockingly made the playoffs, which I don't remember if at the time we talked was news, but I did not do well in the first round. But to be a seller at the deadline, to wind up making the, making the playoffs in a 16-team league where only six teams make the playoffs was quite a an achievement within itself and I really look forward to next year's season if it ever comes which I think it will but uh, I want to carry the momentum I built towards the end and bring it into next season yeah that was encouraging I mean I did win my league I have the championship trophy sitting right next to our podcast studio on the road so that's always nice to have here but I also want to ask you about the XFL following up shop it's going to happen in the process recording this episode you worked for the new york guardians for a little bit what are your thoughts on the on the end of the second incarnation of the xfl i'm really bummed out about it to be honest with you i had a lot of fun i thought the league was in really good shape to strive and i do think if there was no pandemic we'd be really excited about you know what the championship would hold for the league and where we're headed and I really do think players were starting to make names for themselves, and obviously some have already signed with the NFL. But I was looking forward to the league being that kind of secondary league where players can get showcased and the fans can really have fun with it after the Super Bowl. After the Super Bowl, so I was pretty bummed out to see that it's it's got the fate that it does. I really enjoyed my time there. I think every team tried really hard. And I do think Vince McMahon put a lot of time, energy, and money into it. And to see it fold under these circumstances is really, really heartbreaking for so many people that worked really, really hard. And I'm really upset to see it go. Yeah, it's a shame how it ended. It deserved far better than they got. But we'll go to more positive topics here. We'll go to the pop culture segment. Past few weeks on the podcast, we really sort of narrowed in on like one specific show. Whereas like I did Curb Your Enthusiasm, the beginning of this of Martino Puccio. Last two weeks has been a little Westworld coverage. This week we're kind of opening it up a little bit, come up with 
some playlists for people who are right now most of the primetime shows are starting to exhaust their inventory of new episodes. So we're giving you some playlists to come up with to sort of get you through the streaming period with no sports, very little live programming options. I think we should go through each playlist. We'll each come up with five shows. We'll go the elevator pitch of what the show is and why you should watch it. We'll alternate here. Al, I'll let you go first. What is the first show on the Pines playlist? Uh, okay, so I'm not going to do any kind of particular order here. It's just five shows that I really, really enjoy. And I'm going to kick it off with Glow, which for me as a diehard professional wrestling fan, to have a show that covers both professional wrestling and really good script work, really good production, really great acting is something that is just such a sight for my sore eyes when it comes to to the wrestling world, which is, you know, for all intents and purposes, a soap opera. It's, it's melodramatic. It's got big characters. And this show really, you know, reels in the wrestling world into something artistic and really, really well done. Allison Brie, Betty Gilpin, Mark Marin carry the load. And really, it, it is a show about wrestling, but it's so much deeper than that. And now that we've just finished, I believe, the third season, now it's getting into stuff that is not necessarily purely wrestling based so it's diving into the characters it's really getting to know these performers and, and like i said the acting and writing is really strong so it holds up very well with each passing episode and yeah it's it's a show that i really really enjoy and if you haven't watched it yet it's don't be don't be discouraged because you think it's a wrestling show it's really creative well done and i can't recommend it enough yeah, definitely a great elevator pitch from there. That's on Netflix, correct? Correct. Okay, so that's the first show from Alan. It's Glow on Netflix. I'll give you my first recommendation, and we have any questions. You can also feel free to ask if anything piques your interest. I'm going to start with a show that, unfortunately, today, I think CBS just canceled it, but this is one that I've really grown to like over the last two years. I think it's very different, very out of the box of what that network usually does. It's called God Friended Me, and the, the premise is basically... This is based on a, this atheist podcaster who basically believes that God does not exist. He gets a friend request on Facebook from this thing that's calling itself the God account. And it basically suggests friends for him to help people and just general appearance, general experiences sort of like, oh, like this person needs help. It won't it'll guide you to helping them in one way or another. And the thing I love about this show is that the acting is great. The main character played by uh, Brandon Michael Hall from formerly from ABC's The Mayor fame. Like he's a very dynamic lead, he's got great personality. It's a very diversely cast show, which is not something you usually say for CBS. I mean, five out of the six leads in the show are minorities, which is not something you usually get out of that network. And it's not your typical, oh, solve the case of the week. There's a bit of a mystery underlying the whole thing. And the thing I like about it is that, you know, it's a show that makes you, you know, feel good about like humanity and the state of it. It's like it's not overtly religious, but it makes you raise questions about, like, is there something more powerful out there? Is there a greater purpose for us out there? And it's a simple message. It gets the job done really well, and the cast works very well together. I'm ashamed it only got two seasons. I think it's done very, very well. Interesting. Yeah, I never checked it out. Now, the fact that it was canceled, is it a shock? Did they have closure, or is it open-ended? Well, the show is still in the middle of the second season right now. The finale is going to be in two weeks, so I don't know how much clothes they're actually going to get, but you basically have two full seasons worth of show. I think the cast alone makes it worth checking out because it's a very nice cast. They have a lot of interesting supporting characters they bring in along the way. They sort of pop up at now and then, and I think it's a, it's a fun ride. Hmm. 
My next show is one that is currently airing. It's on Showtime. So if you if you have Showtime anytime, I believe you can stream it now. And it's a show that I really thought when I first heard about it, it was going to be like this deep dive into the stock market crash in the 80s. But it turns out it's a balls-to-the-wall, just laugh-out-loud comedy riot, and that's Black Monday. Black Monday is a half hour. It's an easy watch. It's a fun watch. It flies by, and you've got a stud cast. I mean, Don Cheadle, every year, just proves that he is one of our elite actors, and Don Cheadle carries the comedy like no one else can. It's just joke after joke after joke in a way that reminds me a lot of 30 Rock or Kimmy Schmidt, where the writers just hit you with so many jokes in every line that you have to watch a couple times just to see if you caught everything. The show, you know, it's a little out there. It's, it's, it's pretty raunchy, but it's not, it's not the raunchiest, but it is pretty raunchy, but it's not, it's not tacky. It's not grotesque. Everything is done in the world they've created. And Don Cheadle, Regina Hall, and the Book of Mormon's original, Andrew Rannell, are just lights out. Everyone is spot on. It's cast perfectly, and it's so quick-witted. I highly recommend it for anybody who, who just loves a thinker of a show but really doesn't take itself too, too seriously, making it a really easy, enjoyable watch. And it's on the second season right now. Yeah, I will say, I'm going to get to a Showtime show next. That's going to be where I'm going in this direction. I've seen the promos for Black Monday all the time, and I have to say, Don Shield does pop in just the promos. I can only imagine what he's like in the actual show. It's amazing. He's he's really spectacular. Yeah, he is. Let's stick with the show the Showtime theme. I'm going to Showtime right now for another show that's wrapping up its run. This one by its own merits, though. This is Homeland. You and I discussed this off the air. It is in its eighth and final season right now. You, most of you are probably familiar with the concept of Homeland. This is the first couple of seasons where we have a CIA agent played by Claire Danes who has schizophrenia, who is basically convinced that an American prisoner of war played by the great Damian Lewis is basically turned by Al-Qaeda into a sleeper agent. That sort of plot drives the first couple of seasons of the show. Then it sort of evolves into a bit more of a thriller over the last four or five years of its run. I think it stumbles a little in the middle, but the end of the show right now is peaking very well. You have the great cast dynamic between Danes and Mandy Patinkin as Saul Berenson, the two mains throughout the entire show. You got a great thrower throw. If you are a 24 fan, it kind of fills that itch a little bit. I think the storytelling is very well done. There are points where it gets a little rough, but I say stick with it. The show is very entertaining, very well produced. The music's always great, and the locales they do are amazing. I mean... They shoot in the Middle East a lot. They shot in Germany. They've shot in Pakistan. I think they shot in India. It, they go all over the place, and it's incredibly well well done. Yes, I'm I'm caught up with Homeland, and I, I have to say that it's very intense and it's very very high quality. Yeah, I've always loved that show. I mean, I admit seasons four and five were a little like touch and go, but I think. Once they got their footing back in season six, and then six, seven, and eight, they're finishing strong. Yeah, and they they're 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 finishing off with what works about the show, which is the real political intrigue and the overseas and the foreign governments and and it's cooking. It is cooking. Speaking what's cooking, what's what else is next on your list? Where are you, where are you going next? Uh, next, I'm going to go with something that is purely 
a comedy. It is not anything to think about. It is just something that is so well-crafted. It's not for everybody. I will say that as a disclaimer, but it's something that made me howl, howl, laugh very hard watching, and that's American Vandal. And like like God friended me, it's two and done. So you've got two seasons. It's not a hard watch, and it is probably one of the more hard R, hard TVMA kind of shows out there. It is not for everybody. It is very raunchy. It's got very overt jokes that will not hit everybody the same way. But here's where I think it's praises. For as grotesque and as raunchy as it is, it's clever. And it weaves everything together wisely. And what it is, is it came out around the time Making a Murderer really, you know, came through. And the jinx with Robert Durst on HBO. And it's a spoof of those kind of whodunit documentaries where someone's to blame in the beginning. And the more you go through it, you wonder who really did it. And the way they did it using such goofy concepts is just so laugh out loud funny. And they treat it honestly. You know, they're not making a joke of it to the point where they want to laugh with us. We're laughing at everything they're putting out there. So the cast is great. It's all young kids and they've just, they hit it. They hit the nail on the head with what they were going for. And if you find it's your kind of thing, stick to it. Now, season one and season two kind of have different casts except for the main two investigators. I prefer season one over season two, but if you find yourself enjoying season one, gotta watch season two. So I'm going with American Vandal. That's on Netflix. Yeah, I think that's very interesting because I'm one of those guys who love the true crime docs, who loves the making of murderers, loves the jinxes. I love the staircase on Netflix where like I remember that show I followed for the years where they had the original eight episodes and the two more and then Netflix added three more. Like I feel like that'd be right up my alley in terms of something like this is sort of like spoofing that genre of the true crime and sort of like spinning it on its head. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and why this this only get two seasons? Did you have any like is there any like single reason why it didn't last more than it did? I think part of it is the kind of the style of the show really doesn't lend itself to have multiple seasons because both seasons cover a different kind of uh, vandalism. And to keep going might really pull away from the quality. If you, I think what they're going to do is if they find another idea that's worth it, I'm sure somebody will finance a season three. But as of right now, I don't believe there's anything planned. And it's not, it's not the end of the world. It's not like we are unsatisfied. Both seasons have conclusions. So really they stand on their own. So it's almost like, it's almost like you're okay. You know what I mean? It's not, it's not selling itself short. And honestly, I think to go any further may not be as strong. So I wouldn't take it as, Oh, there's only two. It must, it must not be that great. The way the show's set up, every season stands on its own. So if they don't have that super strong idea to build it off of, they probably shouldn't go forward with it. Yeah, it makes sense. Sort of like how Curb Your Enthusiasm is like the standing renewal from HBO, where it's like if Larry David wants to make a new season, he can make one. It's just like until, right. That's, I now, it. I don't think this show would have that because I do think it was like technically canceled. But the way it's set up, they could bring it back anytime. You know what I mean? Like it's not. And, and another network could easily scoop it up if they want it. But again, I, I do think the idea has to be there. 
Yeah, I think that makes some sense. I'll go another show it's a similar like deal where it's like it went one and it, it looked like it could have been one and done in terms of like an anthology style on Netflix, but they did pick it up for a second season with basically change the whole cast, which is The Haunting of Hill House. Are you familiar with this, Alan? It's one of my favorite shows. Yeah, I think this show is well worth a visit. It's a great horror thriller. It talks about a haunted mansion that a that this family owns and it's called it's based on a manner the haunting of hill house based on a book and basically the show takes us in an eight episode thrill ride through the perspective of this mystery of the house and what it did to the kids to the family when they were younger and we have a brilliant dual cast set up here we have the present day cast of all the kids of the family as grown-ups with the dad as a grown-up like basically traumatized at what happened to them in Hill House. And then we see the flashbacks to what they did at the at Hill House, what happened to the mom and all that good stuff. And the thing I like about this show is that it's self-contained. It's one season and they are doing a new story next the following season with new characters. I like that premise, but self-contained they did some original ideas there was one episode i, I saw i remember it was the fifth or sixth episode where the entire thing was basically shot like block style in i think the mansion where basically had like one continuous kind of shot where they basically switched between the real story and the present story all within the presence of the house creativity it was spectacular. like that was spectacular it was great i cannot recommend it enough it keeps you on the edge of your seat and you'll be sitting there at the end of the on the every episode when you get to the point where it's the Tease me episode seven and eight. When they open the red room, the reveal blows your mind. I would say it's one of the most satisfying seasons of television I've ever seen in my entire life. I am right there with you with the legitimacy and the just overall quality that is Haunting of Hill House. Few things have touched it, especially in the horror genre, in my opinion. Indeed. What do you think about the fact they're going to do the, the Haunting of Bly Manor, have it be... I think they're bringing back one person from the cast that they're having here as a new character. What do you think about them trying to recreate the magic with a new storyline? I trust them. At this point, they've given me no reason to think that they... Mike Flanagan has done it several times with different projects. There's no reason for me to think that it can't be pulled off. I am very much looking forward. But one thing we have to do as audience members is to remember to limit comparisons. And to have new eyes, new ears, and just a new open mind when it comes to a new season. Especially a lot of these shows, The True Detective, one show that I'll get to shortly, where the cast interchange every season, partly business-wise, so they can afford to bring on bigger names per season. But also because really it keeps the stories fresh. And I trust them. I do think they will do a bang-up job, and I'm not worried at all. How do you feel? I, I'm excited to see where they can go because I think they they were so creative that first season. I think it's fantastic. I think it's really well done. I I trust them to come up with something interesting. There are a couple moments in season one of that show where my heart literally leapt out of my chest or I got goosebumps on my arms or I was just, my jaw was on the floor. It's legitimately scary. It's legitimately heartwarming. And it's just so well crafted i've used that expression a couple times but this is the epitome of it so far it is indeed let's go what's next on your list so the next two shows are probably two of my favorite shows of all time one just wrapped and one's about to kick off season four i'm gonna go with the one that just wrapped it's another netflix show and it's bojack horseman it's an animated show i wanted to mix it up i wanted to get an animated but animated or not it is 
probably the most heart-wrenching show I've ever watched. It's one of the funniest television shows I've ever watched. It's another million jokes per episode kind of feel. With the animation, they're able to push boundaries that other shows cannot. Will Arnett as BoJack Horseman and all of the supporting actors in their voice roles are so pitch perfect. Every one of them connects with the audience. And at all times, you're at the edge of your seat waiting to see what's going to happen next to these characters. It's probably the deepest show I've ever watched in terms of emotional connection. And it really pulls no punches. It goes to places you wish it didn't. But at the same time, nothing feels cheap and unearned. Everything on this show is done for a reason, and it's done with creativity. I cannot recommend BoJack Horseman enough. And for those who are unfamiliar and think it's just another animated comedy, you, that wouldn't be further from the truth. It's a drama with comedic elements, and everything on it is just so... It's, I, I, I'm trying to think of the perfectly, a perfectly articulated word, but it's just so gripping. And I really think people don't know what they're getting into if they throw on BoJack Horseman. Yeah, I like the idea there because I know anime people just think, oh, Family Guy, oh, Simpsons. Like this is like a deeper kind of animation where you actually can't just have it on as background noise while you're like working on something else. Like you want to actually pay attention to the details. A hundred percent. That's a great, great point. It is not a background noise animated show. It's one that, there are certain episodes which are so heavy, I had to stop. I had to stop and give the show a break for a couple of days because I just had to recover from what I just saw. It is not, nothing on the show is thrown away, which I know is a critique of a lot of Family Guy and, and Simpsons where they just throw away jokes just for filler. Nothing on the show is filler. Every line is calculated. Everything is put in there with purpose. And it's a really hard watch, but you it's, I, I can't recommend it enough in terms of enjoyability. It is just there, and it's what it is, and if you're not with it, you're not with it. I was with it. You were with it indeed. I'm going to go to my next show here, which is we'll stay on Netflix, and this is an interesting one considering this came out back in January. It is an interesting experiment now considering we are in the era of social distancing. It is called The Circle. It's a reality, one of the rare reality shows on Netflix, and it got a huge play. Were you familiar with The Circle? I've watched the pilot of the American version. Yes, yeah, so that, that's the Netflix American version. I watched all 12 episodes of that show. I'm going to go into deeper detail on it next week on this spot with my good friend Steve Kaltzo. But for those who are unfamiliar with it, The Circle is basically a reality game show where they put a bunch of Americans in this apartment complex where they all live in like these posh apartments, but they live alone. They don't interact with each other except through a social media app called The Circle. And they can't see each other visually. They rely entirely on these online profiles they make on this app to get to know each other. So one of the things I like about this show is that like you could be yourself. You could be somebody you could be somebody completely different if you think it's gonna help you gain popularity in the game because the whole idea is that you want to gain influence over the others through your interactions in the circle and whoever wins at the end of the show gets a hundred thousand dollars. So interesting thought experiment considering where we are now in society. Yeah, and from what I remember, they were really stressing the appearances are not everything aspect of it. So you want to dig deeper than just what you think people will like. And that's where the show became kind of a game show. It became very creative as opposed to just 
catfish. You know what I mean? Like it's deeper than that. Yeah, it gets much deeper than that. They do go into a lot of things. We'll go into deeper detail on this next week on the podcast. But I think considering where we are now, it's an interesting look to look at this and see how people dealt with this when like they chose to be on the show. Like we did not have a choice in this situation. So and you can see how they adapt to see if anything we can apply to our current situation. My top, well, not my top spot, but my final show that I'm going to dive into. It's a little unfair. I, I believe it's my favorite show on television right now. So it's the top spot. I, I got to admit. And it's Fargo. It's on FX. The new season premieres April 19th. And I cannot tell you as a, as an old school film fan, as somebody who digs the Coen brothers, digs Scorsese, Tarantino, real artists, real, you know, cinematic presences. This show is an embodiment of a lot of the filmmakers that I really enjoy. It's crafted as such. It's Coen Brothers. It is just so spectacular for, for me as an audience member. It hits everything I ever wanted to. Quirky characters in a real-world setting. Exaggerated circumstances happening to everyday people. It is just so good. And every season has a different cast, save for a few you know, characters who intertwine. But you've got some of the most pure villains in television history, and what helps is what helps it is what I said. It's all in a real world setting. Just to name a couple performances that have jumped out at me: Billy Bob Thornton and Martin Freeman and Allison Tolman, season one, season two. You've got a great Bokeem Woodbine character. You've got Patrick Wilson, Kirsten Dunst, Jesse Plemons. Season three, you've got Ewan McGregor pulling double duty, playing twins. You've got Mary Elizabeth Winstead. You've got David Thewlis as one of the best villains. It's just one of the most well-acted shows. Everyone plays their part to a T. And it's just so funny. They throw in the Minnesota accents, which, yeah, it's fun and shocking at first, but it becomes the quick normal and your hook, line, and sinker through all of it. Now, season four has got Chris Rock leading the charge. I couldn't be, I couldn't be more excited for what's to come out of Fargo. And I just, I cannot recommend this show enough, especially for real film buffs and for people who just love quality TV. It's just something that I really got behind. Noah Hawley, the creator, working with the Coen brothers, every season introduces a new element to the show that you're just not expecting to come, but here it comes. For Like I said, I think the real selling point is for somebody like me who's just a real film buff, a show like this is everything I can hope and ask for, Fargo. That sounds spectacular. It's on my list of shows I want to check out, so I'm glad you gave the endorsement here. I'm very pumped to get to this one. Oh, I can't recommend it enough, and I know you love movies. You're going to click with this show. You're, you're going to be bought in pretty quick. And season one, we mentioned season one of Haunting of Hill House. Season one of Fargo is right up there in my top five TV show seasons of all time. That is very, very high praise. So I'm excited to get to that one. I think for me now, I'm going to wrap with, I. there are a lot of different ways to go for this. I mean, well, I'm sure we'll come back another time and give you five more shows because you and I'm sure, sure you could go all day if you wanted to. Absolutely. Yeah, so we'll start. We'll stick with five for now. We'll save the honorable mentions. We'll make another list in about like another month or two and see if we come up with some more ideas. But for me, I think the one I want to go to next is another show that just wrapped up. It was on show. It was on. Uh, it was actually on USA. 
the, the great Mr. Robot wrapped up this, oh, I think, last fall. And this show, the acting on it is superb. The great Rami Malek is the star of this show. It's about a disillusioned hacker who basically wants to fight to for what's right and help the common man rebel against the 1% of the 1% who are controlling all of the world. And there are twists galore I will not spoil because they will literally alter the way you view this show. There are several game-changing twists. The things I like about this, the casting is great. The acting on the show is phenomenal. The writing is great. And there are styles of this show that they take chances with episodes and do unique concepts that are great. There was one episode in the, in the sec, and I think the show's second or third season, I want to say the third season, where the entire sh- show was shot in one take. They literally did the entire show with one continuous take and not without cutting for 49 minutes, which is absurdly difficult to do. Really well done. I also think there was also an episode in the final season where they basically did a commercial free thing where the whole thing was structured as a five act play within the space of an apartment. They take these kind of chances on the show. They often pay off. I highly recommend Mr. Robot. That is one that is on my list the way Fargo is on yours. I love Christian Slater. I love Rami Malek. And I do want to get to it at some point. So this just pushes it closer to the top of the list for sure. Yeah, the thing with Mr. Robot, it's a little bit like BoJack in the sense you mentioned before. That this cannot be a background noise show. There are things going on you have to pay attention to. Like There are times you'll be questioning, like, what did I see? What does this mean? Like This is not a background noise show. So if you're ready to be mentally engaged by a show, this is one I highly encourage you to check out. I'm definitely pushing it towards the top of my list based on your recommendation. Yeah, so to reset, uh, Alan, want to reset your five for the uh, audience. Sure. You've got Glow on Netflix. You've got American Vandal on Netflix. You've got BoJack Horseman on Netflix. You've got Fargo, which is uh, uh, it's on Hulu. If you, if you have Hulu, you can go back and watch Fargo on Hulu. And then my fifth show... Black Monday is on Showtime anytime, and it's currently in its second season on Showtime. Black Monday. Okay, so reset my five. Guy Friend of Me on CBS. CBS All Access will have the episodes as well. Homeland, Showtime anytime. Final season ongoing right now. The Circle on Netflix. Haunting a Hill House on Netflix. Mr. Robot on USA. Amazon Prime has all the old episodes there as well. And I think we got a pretty good list here of 10 shows to get people going. Absolutely. We've got a mix of variety. We've got comedy. We've got reality. We've got animated. We've got drama. We've got it all. Yeah, we only have one from a broadcast network. So it tells, it tells you where the uh, action is these days. Absolutely. Yeah, and I'll admit, I'm a big CBS guy. Their stuff is way too formulaic for, like, the binge. Or it's like this, they sort of blend together. Like, if you're watching NCIS, they're all going to look the same after a while. And... Yeah, I got to admit, a lot of their stuff is not my cup of tea, but I, I'm a huge Big Brother nerd, so when it comes to CBS, I'm primarily Big Brother for that network. Yeah, I, I watch that show as well. I mean, I'm not expecting them to have a summer season. I think they're going to be delayed a little bit. I would think so. My hunch with this is, I talked about this a couple weeks ago, I talked about Survivor on this podcast, is that we're not you're not going to see Survivor 41 in the fall because they're going to have to delay the filming because of the mm-hmm. pandemic. I think you're going to get a Big Brother fall season because CBS is going to need to fill multiple slots on their net, on their schedule. Absolutely. And, and you know what? If there's ever a show where the participants are probably best off right now, it's Big Brother. 
Yeah, because they, they literally are in the perfect state. They can be locked in a house as long as they're tested and they're healthy before they go in. They can be in there for the entire time and not risk contracting this disease. Right. And I, I don't know if it's true, but I think I in passing I saw a headline that said, like, Big Brother Country X finds out about pandemic from producers during show or something like that. Yeah, that, that actually so – I don't know. If, that, 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 is a, yeah. that is a thing. That was the Canadian version was filming, I think – in early March, I just had to suspend the season and send everybody home because because of the pandemic and, and the shutdown business orders in Toronto. It's that and the videos now on YouTube are wild. Oh my goodness! As you see, there's like a progression of three where like they first get told about it, then they get told about the shutdowns in the world, and then they get told they're going home. It's like literally like dramatically increasing stakes each time. Wow, I gotta check that out. Yeah, those videos are on YouTube. I'll definitely check it out. Before I let you go, I also want to ask, I'm asking the last couple of pop culture people here, what are your thoughts on the multinational hit that is Tiger King? <laughs> well, I've got to say I have a little bit of fatigue from it at the moment. I believe, you know, in in pop culture, when something catches, you better love it or you're going to get tired of it pretty quick. And I I did love it. I love the documentary. I I laughed so hard watching it. And then you kind of sober up and you realize that there's just a lot of bad people in the in, in play with the Tiger King universe. Nobody's off scot-free. Everybody's got their demons. And it's really just, you know, I feel for the animals. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm of the, of the, my, my point of view is the guy's in jail. He's in jail for a reason. Should other people be in jail? I don't know. But as for the show itself, it was crazy. It was some of the most absurd storytelling you could ever imagine. If someone were to write it as fiction, you would tell them they're jumping the shark too much and making stuff too unbelievable. But here it is, something that really happened. And I think it's just mesmerizing. Uh, my fiance and I, our eyes were glued to the television as we sped through the six or seven episodes. I, I believe it was seven. And every Every story, one after the other, was just more unbelievable than the next. So as far as a documentary, I loved it. I thought it was highly enjoyable. When you sit back and think about it afterwards, it's really kind of sad what went on and what, what still goes on at some of these zoos and, and cat places. But I do hope, if anything, it brings a big shining light to the world of animal captivity. And let's hope some regulations or just pure better practices are put in place based on this. But again, as for the documentary, one thing was crazier after the next and it was so enjoyable. I recommend it to anybody I run into. So that's, that's how I feel about it. All right. There you have it. Alan, thanks all the time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, how can people follow on social media? Keep up with some of the stuff you're up to. Sure. On Instagram, I'm at Alan Austin sports and on Twitter, I'm at Allen, A-L-L-E-N, underscore Austin, A-U-S-T-I-N, underscore. Allen Austin is my professional name. It's my middle name, but Allen Pines, Allen Austin, it all works. So yeah. you can find me on those platforms. All right. That sounds great, Austin. Thanks for coming on. Really, Allen, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. I had a blast. All right, and there you have this week's show. I want to thank my guests. First up, I want to thank the baseball beat, Will Schneiderhan and Anthony Sorbellini for calling in to talk about the playing aspects of this baseball bubble plan. 
I just want to thank Phil Freyetta, our legal correspondent, for calling in to discuss the legal financial ramifications of said plans. And I also want to give a shout-out to the great Alan Pines, who was just on the podcast a few minutes ago, talking about all the shows you should be adding to your streaming queue as we work through this quarantine period. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my look at what the NBA's desire to push back their draft means in terms of potential timetable for them trying to get the league up again, and what it could mean for the league going forward, check out the blog over at justendthesuffering.wordpress.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. Simply search for Just End the Suffering on any of those platforms. You can find all rolled episodes there. You can also search for my YouTube channel at Mike Phillips on YouTube. I have all the episodes up on YouTube, the most recent episodes, as well as individual segments. So if you want to hear just the baseball beat, talk about their bit, that's on YouTube as well. Feel free with your feedback and starrings as well. They're very important, guys. They mean a lot. It helps makes the podcast even better going forward and gets into the eyes of more people who can check it out and offer their own feedback. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me the hashtag BaseballBubble. You made it to the end of this week's show. Again, hashtag BaseballBubble. You made it to the end of this week's show. Next week, we're going to get ready for the NFL Draft. I'm going to be joined by the Sporting News' Bill Bender to preview the draft, break down the big position groups, some of the big names that are going to be drafted in the NFL Draft this coming Thursday through Saturday in the usual format. The virtual draft will be fun to check out. We're also going to talk at the circle, as I mentioned, we Steve Colzo and more. Until then, I hope you have a better week than all of us right now. Stay safe, everybody. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.